I want to begin by thanking everyone for praying for us while we were gone for a month. Um, hopefully, if you've been here this month, you realized I was gone. Um, I want to thank those people who filled in from the pulpit, Orlando and Caleb and um, Tom Ford and um, Arthur Bean. And I watched all the services and was greatly blessed by those services. Let me tell you a little bit of our journey. Kind of, we went to a lot of churches and we went to, we started out um, going towards Durham, but we first had, uh, we went to church at Biltmore in Asheville. Then we went from there down to Tampa where we went to Mission Hill Baptist Church. We went to the Crossing Church. We went to a Bible study. Um, on a Friday night that was a small group. It was really special. It was called LL. Um, and we had a, um, there a converted Jewish rabbi was teaching on one of the Old Testament feasts, and that was pretty amazing. And um, we went to a gathering of a multitude of, well, about six or seven churches that are all part of one church. And they had a special once a month worship service on a Friday night, and we loved that. It was very, sorry, that was a Wednesday night. Then we went down to um, Naples, and we went to a Center Point Church there, which is one of the churches that partnered with our team that went to uh, the Dominican Republic recently. Then we were in Jacksonville to go to the church of 1122. And then we got here on Saturday night um, as Tom was preaching last Sunday, and I wanted to do something I've always wanted to do and go to a couple of local churches here. So we went to Franklin and we went to um, Destiny Church. And then we went across the road, like 100 yards across the road to Biltmore um, Church Plant in, um, in Franklin. And I, I will just say that we were blessed. I don't get to do that a lot, so it's very special to me. And my wife and I enjoy, like when we go vacation, I always love going to other churches because I'm kind of busy on Sundays. And so it was a special opportunity. And there's one thing that, that really impacted me, and it was we went to a few churches that were two churches that would truly be mega churches. They were huge. Um, we went to um, a couple of churches that were medium-sized, and we went to a couple that were smaller. And one thing I found that if you look hard, uh, online and you're looking for a church, you can probably especially do a little research, look on the website, see what they believe, watch a little bit of a service. You can pretty much find, you can find a solid place to go. And we felt blessed that every place we went, we heard amazing music. Um, we heard big band, little group. Oh, the one was an older gentleman with a guitar and a lady on the flute. And um, we heard a, a wide variety, but it just kind of reminded me that God's kingdom is big. God has a big kingdom and he's working. And it was just so exciting. I just felt so excited. And one of the mega churches we were in, um, 1122 in uh, Jacksonville, as all these massive number of people were coming in, I just kept playing back in my mind of this um, the psalm that talks about um, let the nations be glad. And it just felt like all these people and um, black, white, Hispanic, um, just a great different group of people coming in. And my heart was just like, oh, Lord, this is beautiful. And, and just seeing people who were coming for the purpose of giving praise to God. And it just kind of stirred my heart a lot. I thought it was beautiful. I also felt that we heard some people speak that were incredibly charismatic and dynamic and some that were 
Um, one was just a good old solid grandpa and um, different. Uh, I mean, I want to be that one day, a good old solid grandpa. Um, but I, I, I just was blessed by seeing the bigness of God's kingdom and that God has people in many, many places that want to serve him and strive after him. But it kind of fits with what I want to talk about this morning because this morning the passage that I read had a little bit to do with talking about false teachers. And one of the things we have to be as Christians aware of and we have to know is, is there such a thing as a false teacher and are they still around and are there a lot of them and do... We have any false teachers here or could we possibly have false teachers? Could I be a false teacher? Would you even know if I was? And so there's just a lot of questions that relate to this text that I thought were really good. So let me pray and then we're going to talk a little bit about this passage we just had read for us. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you are doing the work of your kingdom. Um, wow, as Joni and I were in around North Carolina a bit and Florida all over the place. Um, we just had a fresh sense of how mighty and powerful you are and you're impacting many people in many places. And Lord, I, I felt like I could have found many churches in almost every town I went to that if I had been looking hard. But I also know that there's a lot of churches that aren't walking with you. So we just want to know the difference, Lord. Help Lord, help us to be discerning and help us to take this information in 2 Corinthians 11 so that we can tell the difference between a true teacher and someone that's really called by you and then someone who maybe is um, a messenger of Satan dressed um, uh, like a messenger of light. We just want to be discerning and we also want to, we really want to follow you in, in every every area of our lives. So would you lead us this morning as we talk about these things in Jesus' name, amen. Um, so the question, I've kind of hinted at it, but do you know the difference between a, a good Bible teacher and a false teacher? Um, it's not always easy to tell the difference and it's kind of obvious because the Corinthians were having trouble telling a difference and Paul had to help them understand. And I'm sure everybody in here has maybe, if you've been around church very long, you've probably been a play, few places and you go, mm, I don't feel too good about this. And um, you've been other places, you're like super excited or maybe you've been somewhere you've been really hurt and you find out, you know, one of my early experiences as a Christian was the, the pastor that had been instrumentally um, in my spiritual growth as a young Christian. I was just a teenager and he ran off with a lady in the church right before. He literally drove me to seminary. And then three weeks after, I, I mean, I went to look at the seminary and he drove me. And like three weeks after that, our church, a letter came out from our church saying that he had committed adultery with a woman in our church. And so it's like, oh man, um, you know, the, we go through some real challenges in our Christian walk and where we look for leadership. And so I want to talk about that a little bit this morning. I want to just kind of be trying to open and honest. And I want to challenge you to think about this and ask yourself, like, would I know the difference? Um, am I discerning? And why did Paul ha always have this issue? It's like come up again. And that's why he repeatedly, several times he had to defend his apostolic authority and his role that God had given him. And so I just wonder how you would do. How would you do if you had to say, hmm, I wonder if uh, that pastor over at Webster is a good guy or a bad guy. I wonder if we should go there. I wonder if we should avoid. Um, you know, we have people come here and, and sometimes they'll say, yeah, we weren't in too good a place. 
And I go, well, I uh, wonder what you'll say after being here for four months. And um, we just have instruction from God's Word. So I just want to kind of lay it out there. So I found five things in this passage that I want to draw your attention to. And the first one is this. Paul constantly had to defend his calling as an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he wasn't really excited about it. Um, he even up, it's almost kind of apologizes or you can tell he was uncomfortable. He says, I, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Please bear with me. And the little foolishness he's talking about is he's going to do a little bit of bragging. Or it's going to sound like bragging. And he's kind of going, I don't feel real comfortable doing this, but I, I need to. And so personally, I'm extremely glad that Paul did this because the word of God was under attack. And the gospel was under attack. And Paul had to do something he was uncomfortable doing because God told him to. He was the, remember, all the Bible is inspired by God. Even this section. And Paul said, there's a lot of people saying I'm not a true apostle. There's a lot of people saying I'm not preaching the gospel correctly. So let me tell you my credentials. And he spends... Again, this is a, he does this in several places. This is one of the places where Paul says, well, let me, uh, let me explain to you that I'm, I have been called by God and I have an assignment and I'm going to do my assignment. And so um, Paul defends his gospel again. In 2 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, um, yeah, bear with me. And then there's a couple of places in the Bible where... This same idea is under attack early in the Bible. And the, the first five books of the Bible that were compiled together was the B book of Moses or the, the law. Um, Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy. Wait, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The five books of Moses. And in the five books of Moses, the first grouping of written scripture, there's a warning in there. And it says... Don't ever add or take away from the Word of God. No man has the authority to take away from God's Word and say, hmm, that shouldn't be in the Bible or don't have to pay attention to that or add to God's Word and say, well, i got some more things here that probably we need to add the Book of Mormon and the Apocrypha and, you know, everyone really needs to read my book on how to interpret Scripture or whatever. God says, don't ever listen to anyone who tampers with my book and sets themselves above my book or equal to my book. That's the thing with uh, Roman Catholicism. That's the mistake they make is they, um, they put the Pope's word equal with the word of God. And are there Roman Catholics who are Christian? Absolutely. There are, I believe. But their doctrine of papal supremacy, that the Pope is equal to the Word of God when he speaks at cathedra from his official position, it's equal to Scripture, that's abominable. It's not true. And therefore, that teaching or those who teach and claim that are not being faithful to God and would be a, would be a, a false teacher. Same thing if I said that. Same thing if I did that and tried to put my teaching and say, you know what, guys, you don't even need to read the Bible. Just take old Pastor Scott's sermons. 
And I would say, if you ever hear me say that, then pack up and leave. Go somewhere else, because that would be me setting myself up as equal to the Word of God, which is, could, is so far from... I often worry about what I say, and some of you worry about what I say sometimes too. Um, my wife worries a lot about sometimes. She'll say, did you mean to say this? And I go, I didn't say that. She said, yes, you did. Then I go back and listen to what I did. And it's like, man, I wish I hadn't said that. I didn't mean it quite the way I said it. Um, I'm very um, capable of saying things that aren't correct. And therefore, some of you are so kind and you remind me and send me emails and stuff. And Just kidding. Um, but that does happen from time to time. But I do want to say that Paul had to defend his authority because he was one of the men that God had called to give us to take the teaching of Jesus and make sure that this new church of Jesus Christ, the New Testament church, was properly grounded upon the true gospel and that we would have a written record of the gospel and the revelation given to the apostles. And so we have a very solid, closed, completed book of Scripture. I'm not saying that God isn't still speaking. But I just want to say there's a distinct, God is still speaking, but there's a distinction between this book and any other book and stuff someone might say. So that's just important. And that's why Paul had to act foolish for a minute and list his credentials. And we'll look again a little bit more next week at some of his credentials of suffering. And I want to talk a little bit about how suffering can be part of the, the Christian life. But today... Um, I want to deal with what Paul was saying, that there were some false teachers trying to undermine his authority. Number two, Satan has been attacking God's message from the beginning, and he's not about to let up now. So in verse 3, uh, it says, I'm afraid Paul had a concern, and it was what Satan has been doing and what he knew Satan was still doing. He says that that serpent deceived Eve by his cunning. As that happened, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So Satan's always going to attack the authority of God's word, the integrity of God's, uh, the Bible. And I find it interesting that in this occasion, he was attacking Paul. I find it interesting that Paul's still under attack. If you go to what would be considered a liberal church, one of the first things you're going to find out is that Paul is not welcome. That Paul's booted out. It's like he's a male chauvinist and a homophobe. And therefore, he gets kicked out. Folks, if people kick Paul out, then you need to leave too. You go to a church that doesn't believe that Paul in writing is the Word of God, and they dismiss Paul and say, well, it's Paul versus Jesus. Because after they kick Paul out, they're going to kick the apostles out. They're going to kick the gospels out. And soon they're going to kick Jesus out. And all they have left is be nice. They'll summarize everything down to the, great, to the um, Beatitudes, and then they'll say, and then the summary of it is just love God and love people. Just be nice. That's the whole Christian gospel. We could have, God wasted a lot of paper in printing Bibles if all we needed was that. The whole Bible is the Word of God, and if someone tells you otherwise, then you need to leave. That is a false teacher. That's very dangerous and misleading teaching. So make sure wherever you go, you get a whole Bible, okay? You get a whole Bible. 
and not one that's taken away from or added to. It's just very important. And that's what Paul was saying. He said, you know what? Um, Satan did that as a, a slimy snake back in um, Genesis chapter 3, and he's still slithering around today. Sometimes he's a snake. Sometimes he's a roaring lion in 1 Peter 5, 8. He roams around like a, a, a lion seeking whom he, he may devour. But if you ever see him, James said, flee. Flee Satan. Draw near to God. And he'll, he's still at work doing that. Number three, among the devil's most effective strategies is to raise up and send out a constant barrage of false teachers. So he's like, well, hey, I got a great idea. Let's plant some false teachers in there. It's pretty ingenious. It's like, hey, let's go, let's throw some false teachers out there and let's say, let's dress them up like they're real preachers and make people think they're real preachers and real Bible teachers. And let's dress them up and put cloth on them and give them degrees and send them to seminary. Send them on mission trips, do good works, start organizations, give them a real good pipe organ in their church or a cool band. Nice parking lot, nice building, stained glass windows. Let's fix them up. Let's dress them up and let's send them out. But don't tell anybody they're, they're, they're Satan's slaves. Don't tell anybody they're on our side. But everybody thinks they're on the other side. What a great plan. Incognito, servants of Satan, dressed up like servants of God. And that's what he says at the end of it disguising themselves, verse 13, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Satan comes in like, I'm a big messenger of God. He's a big liar. And he's no messenger of God. He is a messenger of Satan. But he tricks people and he reads the Bible. And he preaches sermons and he does liturgies and he can do all every he can do everything I can do. He leads communion. He visits at the hospital and he does this and gets involved in community things and seems like a good guy. But some of those that look like good guys aren't. They look like an angel of light. They look like a messenger come from God. They look like they're bringing truth, but with their truth, they start mixing in theirs. And you need to know. You need to know, and it's not always easy. Am I susceptible to someone that I thought was a good guy? And it's proven that they're not. Okay, so... Um, in Acts chapter 20, Paul is on one of his missionary journeys and he's not too far from Ephesus. And he says, hey, can, will someone run over to Ephesus and get the elders of Ephesus, Ephesus and tell them to come meet with me? And so he meet, he's meeting with the elders of Ephesus in Acts 20 and he's telling them some things about, man, preach the whole counsel of God. Be faithful, pray, be a faithful shepherd of God. It's the work of God's dependent on you. And then he says, but beware because savage wolves will rise up from among you. Among the sheep, savage wolves. What are wolves like to eat? They kind of like sheep. The, you can't be more clear in the analogy and what is being described is someone who actually will devour my sheep can come from right up in your midst if you're not careful. 
and he says, they'll come right up in your midst. And therefore, we need to be alert to that. We must not ever think that that could not happen here. Folks, it could happen here. It happens all over the place. It's always happening. Satan hasn't just like going, well, you know, that old strategy didn't work. It's one of his best tricks. It's one of his best gigs. He has entire seminaries that are doing nothing but churning out false prophets. Entire institutions that are doing nothing but churning out people who don't even believe the book. They went there to study. And they come right out and they go into churches and pulpits and they think they're so clever and they got a new word from God. And they're going to deal and do away with all those orthodox, all those old truths and we're here for new stuff and we're going to be more compatible with society and we're going to love on everybody who walks through the door and we're not going to tell anyone that things like homosexuality or lesbian, that we're not going to tell anyone that what they're doing might offend God. We're just going to love everybody and Paint rainbows everywhere. Not Noah rainbows. Noah rainbows are awesome. And Paul's bothered because he says, and you people are letting it happen. Look at verse... Um, okay, so verse 4. So someone comes... Proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed. Do you know what? There's a whole, there's a whole movement, or especially, it's not as popular at the moment, but there's a whole movement of people that were proclaiming a different Jesus. Like, yeah, we follow Jesus, the historical Jesus. Was that, well, I thought the Bible was the historical Jesus. Oh, no. No, we're real smart. We're so smart that we've gone back and taken the Bible apart and taking all the things out that we don't like and that might offend somebody, we've come up with this coolest Jesus you ever could imagine. He's nice and sweet. He only said about six or seven things. So you can't really believe the Gospels. The truth is in there, but it's not really truth undiluted. And so they go through and they're proclaiming a Jesus that is not at all like the Jesus of the Bible. And then people just sit there and they go, oh, this is so nice and sweet. I feel so warm and fuzzy after church. No one ever gets convicted. And then it says, um, you receive a different spirit from the one you received. Like when they became Christians, they were pretty riled up and pumped up and excited. And like not only the spirit with a capital S, Holy Spirit, they definitely received the Holy Spirit of God. And he's a game changer and a life changer. And they also received their spirit, their, their desire, their love for life changed. And they remembered that. And Paul says, well, these other people come in here, they don't have the Holy Spirit with the capital S. And he's not affecting your spirit with a little s. It's like, it's not the same. It's a different spirit. It's a different feeling when you go there. It's a it's different idea or concept when you go. You can go into two different churches and feel two totally different feelings. Like, this is not the same Christianity. And sometimes you pick that up. And then it says, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted. Paul in Galatians, Paul used a word 
Um, if anyone, in Galatians 1, he says, if anyone comes to you and they preach another gospel or a different gospel, let them be anathema. Let them be damned. It's pretty strong language. Because guess what? If someone believes a different gospel than the true gospel, they are damned. It's that important. And that's why Paul is like saying, hey guys, please don't imagine that every church out there is preaching the true gospel. You need to have some discernment and understand the true gospel so that you can be aware and so that you can make sure that um, you're hearing the gospel the way it really is. The, tr the truth of God, the gospel of Christ. And so, and then he's like troubled because he says at the end of that, a different gospel, you put up with it readily enough. That's what's shocking. Is people will just sit there as the church begins to change and move away from the gospel and people are like going, oh yeah, my, well, my grandkids go here. I can't not go here. And my friends are here and we were here from the beginning. And they start being more committed to what they did than what God is doing. And they get so locked in and say, oh, well, I just like it here and it's friendly and it's comfortable. And, you know, the, they just are more focused on how it makes them feel and their little club and their little grouping than they are about walking with integrity and having integrity surrounded around the Word of God. And so he's just like, I can't believe... Some of you have been there. Some of you have been in a church that was just dying. And you kept wondering, are... Is any, and slowly people start to leave. And at first everybody's mad at the people leave. It's like, why are you leaving us? It's called, this is dead. It's like, dead, I've been here for way too long. I can't believe I waited this long to leave. I just, I made my little comment and it was discarded. And I questioned this thing that's being said and taught now. And that was laughed at or people got mad at me. Or how dare you act so arrogant. And, and you know, I was called names because I brought up some concerns I had. And next thing I know, I'm being called a bigot and a um, right-wing radical or whatever it was. And next thing I know, it's like, man, I was just, I was just asking honest questions because I've been reading this book, the book, the, the Bible. And I was kind of figuring like being a church and stuff, we ought to follow it. And when I questioned it, I got, came under attack. It's like, well, I think I need to go somewhere else. And that's when you kind of begin to understand that there's, a, there's another part to this. In Jeremiah 17, 9, it says the heart is deceitful. My heart is deceitful. Like, I can trick myself. I'm not as smart as I think I am. I'm gullible sometimes. And the truth of the matter is I don't know when. I don't know when I'm, I don't always know when I'm being gullible. Sometimes it takes time. Sometimes I like going, I might be heading down. I, sometimes, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I hear something and say, that sounds good. And sometimes it takes me a little while to start thinking about, well, what are the ramifications of this? And sometimes I'm down the road on something and I'm just going, I'm starting to have, I'm not, I'm not feeling so good about this. And I start questioning and discernment. I start getting discernment and I read God's Word and I start going, I tell you, there's always new ideas in the church of Jesus Christ. There's always new books. There's always 
hot, popular new speakers. There's like Mr. Podcast is like cranking out this stuff and everybody's just following them like the Pied Piper. There's always people that are super popular and people just follow them before they can even think about whether or not what they're saying is actually true and faithful to God's Word. Or maybe they're super faithful in this area, but no one's questioning certain things that are starting to pop up with this person. They go, oh, no, oh, they're good. They're good. Look how big their church is and they're planting campuses everywhere. And he's like the number one, number two podcast person around. It's like, of course he's solid. And so, but the Bible says that we are easily um, deceived. And therefore, we need discernment that would come from God. Okay. And number five, um, the motive behind all this is love for God and love for the bride of Christ. Paul loved, loved God. He loved God. Look at the rest of chapter 11 and you see what he was willing to endure for the glory of God. He suffered in his love for God. And he's like going, well, I'm not trying to brag or anything, but have any of those guys over there who claim to be super apostles ever gone through stuff like this? They're like, no, they're in their nice cars and nice houses and they're on TV all the time and they got jets and they got bukus of money and their net worth is like $700 million and they're like super studs out there and they like dress up and they're always fine and they're, they're like, no, that ain't hurting. They're actually making bukus of money. Or they're living a very cushy life. And Paul goes, well, you know, my life for the gospel hasn't been quite so easy. You just wait till next week when we read the list of what Paul went through simply because he loved God. And so Paul is saying, you know what? This man that loved God, and he's also saying to the Christians, he says, I love you guys. I love you, and I want to see you get ready for your wedding. The, the wedding between you and Jesus Jesus is the groom and the church is called his bride in the Bible. It's like we want to, he's like, man, we got to get you ready for Jesus, ready for the groom. You're, you're like the bride. We want to get you ready for the wedding. Instead of thinking about building my kingdom, which a false teacher is always concerned about building their kingdom and their name and their reputation. That's what they're building. They're built, everything exists for them. But a true shepherd, a true, the true people of God are excited about being with Jesus and it's like, man, I want to get you ready for that. And so we want to get you all dressed up and like a bride getting all beautiful and dressed and saved for her husband and saved for her. It's like, no, no, I've got one. He says you're betrothed to one. Um, I'm je jealous for you since I betrothed you to one husband, Jesus, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. So it's like, I want, to, I want you to walk with God and commit yourself to Him and be devoted to Him. And man... Stay pure and true to God. There's nothing more exciting, nothing more wonderful to be committed to than this Christ. And it's like, man, get the, get the mess out and get all washed up and clean and walk in and, and God and faithfulness to God and get excited about being with Him and just like let Him know you're devoted to Him and the decisions you make and the paths you choose and, and like get yourself ready for that. It's like exciting to someone who's in love with God and they want to be ready. To, they're like thinking about, man, I just want to live for God and glorify Him and and I can't wait to be with him fully. You know, like right now, engagement periods, like I can't wait till we're completely married. I just remember one of the most exciting things about getting married to my wife was we didn't have to say goodbye, goodbye every night. It's like so exciting. We get to be together all the time. And we just spent hours together in the month of July riding around. But I honestly think the riding around might have been my favorite part. It was just us talking. 
seeing things together and enjoying things together and doing it together. It's like, man, that ought to be the way we are with our Lord and Savior and our, our King, Jesus. Like, Jesus, we get to do life together now. It's not just about me getting saved and rescuing me from hell. It's not that I don't go to hell. It's that I get to be with Jesus. It's like, that's far better. You know, hell's a pretty terrifying place. But it's, it's not just life insurance. It's like life, period. I, I never knew life until I met Jesus and understood why I exist and why I'm here. So it was super cool. Okay, and then, so God wants you to teach you how to spot and stay away from false teachers. Can, can, can I tell you there's two basic ideas you need to know about false teachers. There's two ways someone can be a false teacher. How do you know if someone's a false teacher? There's two ways to know. Number one's obvious. They're teacher. They're teaching. The first way is real simple. They're teaching. And the only way you're going to know that is if you're a student. You're going to have to learn to study this book cherish this book, love this book, and think about, man, God, this is like my love letter from you. I want to read. What, what do you have to say to me today, God? What promises have you made to me? What warnings are in there, God? Okay, oh, man, even David made some serious mistakes. Don't want to, don't want to make that mistake. Wow, Lord, Peter, he really stuck his foot in his mouth that day, didn't he? Wow. And you start reading this book and you start going, man, this is exciting. And it's, it's kind of tough in some spots. So maybe I can find some other people who are excited about it too. And we can talk about it. I just want to learn. I want to learn about this book because this is like my lifeline. As long as I'm still on this earth, this is like my communication from God on how to live my life and overcome struggles and learn about Satan and learn about um, evangelism and learn about prayer and learn about, man, this book is just loaded with jewels. And the more I study it, the more discerning I become and the less likely it is is I'm going to follow some false teacher because I'm becoming halfway decent myself at understanding. Like I'm starting to understand some stuff. I can quickly spot. I can quickly. I'll tell you what, I've been at this for a long time and I can quickly spot a lot of false teachers. Quickly. But there's some that still, even after all these years, there's still some trick me. It's like, man, I thought this person was like a good guy. Man, they were so exciting. Everybody was following them. And I listened to them at first. I thought, man, that person is sound. And then all of a sudden along the way, I'm like going, ooh, I didn't, I didn't listen to that. Did you hear about that? And their teaching starts moving away from this gauge, from this book. The only way you're going to know that if you stay close to this and you become a student. So I just want to challenge you. I know it's hard. I know people are going to say, oh, I'm not much of a reader. Well, you better be. I guarantee you if someone writes you a check, you're going to be a reader and you want to see how many zeros are on it. But no, I don't read that. I don't know. $10, 10 million. I, all I know is there's a 10 on there. I don't know how many zeros. You are a reader, my friend. Someone hands you a check, you immediately go, oh boy, going to the bank. Because it interests you. That's your problem. It isn't that you can't read. It's just you're not really that interested. But if you're interested, you'll start picking it up and going, you know what, Lord, this is worth the work. 
And there's some places that are easier. And, you know, people come up to me all the time and say, where should I start? And I always have suggestions. It's like, I usually go, simplest say is I, I say, go Mark. Mark's pretty easy. It's pretty simple, fast-paced gospel. Go Mark. Pick up a psalm. Read a psalm if you want to. Psalm a day. Proverbs, when I was a young Christian, I liked Proverbs because it was like, you didn't have to read very far before you got a good, a good chunk. Like you got a nugget. You're like one verse nuggets. Like that's good. I like that. And, you know, it took me some years. But I, I now, I love Deuteronomy. I love Leviticus even. As people say, are you crazy? I said, no, I'm not. I do. I, because I'm just beginning to understand how beautiful it is. What Christ has done for me as my high priest. I go to Leviticus and I eat. Ah, oh, it's good. Some people go to Le Leviticus and they throw up. And I'm like, well, I can't read Leviticus. And I say, well, you're not there yet. It's fine. Keep working. Next thing you know, the, all 66 books are to become precious. I don't like the question. Someone says, what's your favorite book in the Bible? I said, all of it. I don't even know. I, honestly, I don't know how to answer that question. I like it all. And the more I learn about it, the more delicious it is. Okay? And so the two, two things about a, a false teacher. Their teaching, the other thing is their character. The character. I don't care how good your teaching is. If you're a jerk, you're a jerk. And you ought not be in the ministry. If you're arrogant, self-centered, money-loving, attention-grabbing, you're a false teacher. And so many gifted, highly gifted people ought not be in the ministry. And then we wonder why someone falls. And we're all shocked. And the truth of the matter is, it was no shock to God when the Ravi Zacharias of the world or Hillsong or whoever. It's no shock to God because God saw the distinction between what they say and what they do. God saw this person is not my true shepherd. I don't care how many millions of people listen to them. Because their message and their life don't match up. And they're disqualified. You know, I find it interesting. Do you know that the qualifications for ministry described in Timothy and Titus for elders is almost 90% character. It mentions that they ought to be a good teacher. We put 90% of emphasis on someone's ability to teach or lead and we dismiss their moral flaws. And God says, I'm going to take that church out. Because this person is pretending to be called by me and they're not watching their own heart with integrity. And so that's the two ways that you can spot. And there's all kinds of people that have fallen into moral failure and no one knew it because they were such gifted leaders and such great communicators, and had such charismatic personality, and they stood up, the crowds cheered, and they sounded so biblical with their words. But when Jesus looked in their hearts, He saw a moral failure. And they were then, they move, and they start working in human strength. No wonder at some point it collapses. Okay, so... Um, the, the last thing I want to say now is I want to draw this to a, to a point where I want you to see, and our musicians, please come on up.
And I, I just want to say this. If there's anyone between you and Jesus, kick them out. No one gets to come between you and Jesus. Jesus is your high shepherd. So if you have someone you're always quoting, you're always listening to, you're always handing out their books, that's fine. That's fine. But if you have someone that you've elevated them above other mere mortals, then you have placed someone between you and Jesus. I don't care if it's John Piper or Charles Haddon Spurgeon or... I started to say Scott Carter, but I really don't imagine that would ever happen. So um, if you have someone that you just elevate them, you need to kick them out and make them come down to where the rest of us are because that's all a servant of God is. If you see people and you say, man, that person is just like this, you need to take the props out from under them. You don't follow someone that sets themselves up in that position and you need to lower someone if you've been the one to place someone so high that you don't go directly to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But here's what I want to offer to you today. Jesus wants to be your shepherd. He wants to be your one. And I promise you, if you'll trust in Him, you might meet some people along the way like me or other leaders or Bible teachers that from time to time will confuse you and maybe we don't have everything right. But there's one shepherd who will never betray you or mislead you or teach you in the wrong way. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is saying to me, come unto me and let me be your teacher. And I will take you where you are. I might take you to this church or this one for a while. I might lead you over here. I might give you this book to learn from, but I will guide you and I will teach you my ways and I will give you discernment. I will give you knowledge and if you'll keep your eyes on me and don't let anyone come between us and you guard your relationship to me, then I will make sure that you don't fall prey to false teachers. You might be under one for a moment, one for a moment, but I will give you the discernment. In good time, you will come to see and you will say, I don't think I need to be in this church anymore. Or I don't think I need to listen to this guy anymore. Or I don't think I need to pass out these books anymore. And he will teach you how to walk in faithfulness with him. All you need is one primary teacher and leader and it's the one who died to be your Savior. If you will start there, then He will let you know where to go to church, where to look for solid food, and He will help you learn to understand how to overcome struggles in your life. You look to Him and start there. And some of you, there may be some of you here that you've gotten confused along the way and you've been mad at this church or mad at God because this teacher did this and that teacher did this and that pastor said this and this church group and those Christians said this. They are not to be your primary means of walking with God. Jesus is. So if someone has gotten in your way where you can't see Jesus clearly, then kick them out and go before the cross and go before Jesus and say, Jesus, you're the light that I need. And I trust that you will guide me. I give my life to you. That's all, that's all, that's where we start.
Okay, does that make sense? So instead of being terrified that you might fall prey to a false leader, how about being thrilled to know that your King and Lord will not let you remain on any unhealthy path. He will guide you. But He has to be first. Seek first the kingdom of God. How about we change that? Seek first the King. And all these things will be given unto you. Let's pray. Father, thank you this day that you are beautiful Savior, mighty Redeemer, Lord, King, Teacher, Protector, Defender, Warrior, Comforter. Everything we need is in you. Forgive us that we've tried to put so much emphasis upon other human beings. We confess that God is wrong. It's a sin to elevate people to the position that only belongs to you. And we want to renew that today, God. Only you can lead us. Lead our church, God. Will you be the leader? Lead our families, God. Will you lead us? Lead my life, God. Will you please lead me and guide me? In Jesus' name, amen.